0: Uh, Good to see everyone. I'm glad you braved the cold. Uh, Special props to those that made it here. Uh, This is like corner booth in heaven sort of uh, stuff to show up for church on a day like this, so don't worry everybody in in Cyberland there. You're still riding coach. It's all right, but uh, thank you for being here this morning. It's good to have an audience. Uh, Joel asked me to preach a couple weeks ago, which I appreciated. It's been a little while. And uh, so, I asked him, before I said yes, I was like, hey, okay, so what what scripture is it? Because I know we were going through the book of Ephesians, and I wanted to make sure, you know, I was feeling inspired by it. So he told me the scripture, and I looked at it, and I liked it, and I said, sure, I'll do it. And so for the next, you know, last couple weeks, I've been digging into it, having my quiet times kind of on that. Uh, going through some deeper, uh, deeper publications on the Scripture, coming out with an outline. And by the beginning of this week, I was feeling like real good. Like I'm, this is, I'm prepared. I'm coasting into the finish line. And then Wednesday comes along, right? I'm minding my own business. I log in for midweek and listening to Joel's lesson. And what, what does he do? But he starts preaching the exact scriptures that, like, he gave me to preach. And he starts preaching. I'm like, well, there goes point number one. He goes a little further. And point number two's out the door. So I hope you guys don't mind, like, a six-minute sermon today because uh, that's what I got left. Really. No, I don't. Actually, I think it was the Holy Spirit because... Even after that culling, there's still about a half an hour here, so maybe that was God's way of sorting things out. So, nonetheless, I want to preach today in Ephesians 2, and the title of my message is A New Household. A New Household. The theme this year, as we know, is all things new, and as it pertains to this scripture, the, the, the appropriate title is A New Household. More specifically, we're going to talk about the privilege and responsibility of sharing the same spiritual address with one another, if you will. And so, we've all had roommates before, right? And when you, when you have roommates, whether it's your direct family or, or what have you, just you know, friends or acquaintances, your quality of life has a lot to do with how well you get along with the members of your household. Now, for the last 22 years, I've been married and I've lived with my wife and my boys. And that's been pretty solid. But prior to that, I didn't get married till I was 30, and so I had uh, quite a catalog of different living scenarios during my 20s, right? And as I look back on that, I, a couple people come to mind. Number one, I had this roommate early on. His name was Paul Dixon, right? And Paul was like the best roommate like you could ever even imagine in your mind. Uh, first of all, I think it was his hobby to clean. Like he liked to clean. Like not only did he mind cleaning, he was like, "No, no, no Tim, I got this." For some reason, the dude was just into it. So, uh, you know, I'm like, "Fine, you know, just take over." So for like that whole year, I I cleaned my own room and stuff, but I barely had to lift a finger beyond that. He also had an affinity for. He had a meat smoker out back. And so he would smoke like, he was really good at it too. He'd smoke like salmon, he'd come home with these big pork roasts and the next thing you know there's this juicy feast and he'd share it with me. So that was a big bonus. He loved to hunt and fish as I did as well. And then the kicker was he, we had the same taste in music. And that's important in a household, right? Can I get a witness? If you live with somebody who's into music, that's bad music. Of course, if you don't like it, it's automatically bad. Uh, that's, that's a bad thing. So we had like the perfect deal, but in a way it like tainted my whole like, roommate experience because as we know, it's, it doesn't always go that smooth, right? Fast forward a few years, I had a roommate, his name was Rob. I won't say his last name because I'm about to roast on Rob just a little bit. And and Rob was one of those roommates. We had five guys in the house then, this was on the east side of Milwaukee. and. We, we did the weekly dishes routine, right? So every week somebody would have the dishes and that's how we sorted it out. Well, when it was Rob's week to do dishes, we always noticed he had a lot of plans somewhere else going on. The dude never did the dishes to the point where like by two, you know how it goes. By like Tuesday, there's all of the essentials are, are like heaped up on this thing. There's no plates, there's no bowls, there's no... Forks and silverware and stuff. So you get up in the morning and you got like the the big pot with the soup ladle eating your cereal because that's all that's there, right? But like like by 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 Thursday, the house would stink, right? Because you're 21 years old, nobody's rinsing dishes, so it's like this science project sitting there and <laughs> all sorts of chemical reactions going on, and it, what that equals is stink by like the fourth day and so after like the third wave of this going on I'm like I, I've had it man and so the dishes piled up and on like Thursday I grab them all and I put them all in his bedroom like on his floor under his covers right on his desk I'm like this has got to end and that did not go too well uh, and so I was a great roommate by the way I was like the perfect roommate all the time uh, but Why do I bring this up? The point I'm trying to make is, as members of God's household, we face some of these same challenges, don't we, metaphorically speaking? Uh, This passage, I think, teaches us some principles to remember to make sure we behave more like Paul, not the Apostle Paul, but him too, Paul Dixon, and less like Rob, amen? So let's pray, guys. Uh, God, it's good to get in your word. The book of Ephesians is rich. And I pray that you could speak to us all this morning, Uh, inspire us to be better roommates for each other, inspire us not to have the mindset that I just had, where we're thinking about other people's faults and not what we bring to the table, Uh, God, but help us really be best for you uh, and for each other as we grow in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ephesians 2, we're going to start reading in verse 11. The Bible says here, Therefore, So I'll just stop right there, this is gonna take a long time. But whenever you see therefore, what does that mean? What's coming is built on what you just read, okay? So in short, therefore is referring to verses one through 10, which Eli did a great job of preaching last week, but just to review it, in a nutshell, in one sentence, live a life worthy of the salvation you have received because don't forget, once upon a time, you were a big fat sinner. That's what that says, one through 10. So now we can move ahead. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were, are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those that call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners of the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, dividing the wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We'll stop right there. So by and large, we learn here that Paul is addressing the Gentile believers. The Gentile believers at that time historically were spiritually separate from the Jews, right? And it's not like the Gentiles were necessarily atheists. They worshiped their other gods. But historically, prior to that, for generations, the Jews were God's people, as we learn in the Old Testament, and the Gentiles were separate. And so never, for the first time in history, now these two were stirred into one, right? They are a part of the same exact body of Christ. And you can imagine that unity came less than naturally, in the early church because of this. Joel mentioned on Wednesday that the situation in Jerusalem, which was kind of the hub home of the Jewish folks, but there were Gentiles all over the place. They had their courtyard there, and the courtyard was like this quarter mile area. It was like a quarter mile, by, it was like 40 acres, so this huge expanse area surrounded by these huge pillars that everyone had access to to a certain point. But when you got closer to the inside, there was this four-and-a-half-foot wall, and there were signs around it that the Gentiles could no longer come closer. And to kind of demonstrate the hostility that existed between these two people, there's this passage here in this Zondervan commentary I found that digs a little deeper into that mentality. In fact, Josephus, an early church writer, said that there were 13 stone inscriptions, inscriptions erected at the various points of this balustrade that warn Gentiles not to enter under penalty of death. And it says here, two of these inscriptions have been discovered. So we have physical evidence of these. And the text of the inscription reads, no foreigner is to enter within the, within the forecourt and the balustrade around the sanctuary. Check this out. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for their subsequent death. And so Gentiles and Jews had some, some serious segregation going on and some serious discrimination. And so now all of a sudden the church is formed. Jesus invites all people into the sanctuary, if you will. And you can understand that that would be very difficult for both groups to integrate with each other, right? It'd be very natural on a Sunday service for the folks to file in and the Jews somehow to migrate over to one side and the Gentiles to kind of scoot over there. And yes, we're cordial and we talk about unity, but really when the rubber hits the road, we got our people and that's how it goes. But Paul, so you understand the temptation to segregate, but the early church in the church today, it, by, by, uh, by identification, called the first Christians to like lay that burden down to break down the walls of hostility, to rally around the blood of Christ and abolish such things. Paul knew very well that maturity as a group came through integration as a people. Now, what I'm not talking about, the good news is, it's not like talking about go find someone least like you and get a therapy degree and just discover the roots of your discourse and like get super deep. It's like Paul's like, people, share your lives together. Love each other. Get to know each other's families. I'll bet you got something in common. You guys, I bet you'd love to go fishing together. You guys, I bet you enjoy mountaintop hikes. Just be together. Be a family. And when that happens over time, beautiful things happen and the church matures. Amen? Paul knew the way to maturity and unity was through accepting our differences. So verse 14 starts, and there's all this talk about peace, right? In that paragraph, you see the word peace four times. And as a casual Bible reader, I see that vernacular and I'm, I'm pumped. But what I've learned is that God's definition of peace and my definition of peace are two very different things, right? I tend to attach a couple words to peace and those words are and quiet, right? Peace and quiet. Can I get a witness from the dads around here? Or just anybody, really. Peace and quiet, right? When I, My idea of peace is solitude. I'll be over there in my boat with nobody else alone for a long period of time, and that's peace. But it's, that's not the biblical peace that's mentioned here. In fact, I did a little digging. And the, the word is translated ariana. It's spelled E-I-R-E-N-E. And the definition of it is a state of national or corporate tranquility. Peace between individuals. And then it says harmony. So obviously that implies peace is found through the integration and being shoulder to shoulder with others. It's not about solitude at all. And so this kind of peace is only found through engaging in, 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 in despite diversity and despite differences within the congregation. Because you know it's possible to be in the presence of a diverse environment, but not enjoy diversity at all. Like, that happens all the time in our world around us. I think about the biggest example I can think of, when I was right out of high school, I went up to MATC in downtown Milwaukee, and I had grown up in a a little town 50 minutes away, population 2,000, and and so it was all the same kind of people. It was a farming community, kind of slowed down pace, and so I decided to go up there. And the first day I went up to school, I got, got downtown Milwaukee. It took me like forever to park, and it's confusing. There's cars everywhere and noise and people that are all different everywhere and loud, so much louder. And I went in there, and I, I was in kind of the main assembly, and, it was, and I was super overwhelmed. And I was like like fear kind of set in, right? Not like fear cower in the corner and shake, but fear like, whoa this is different, like these these people are not like me, I I better be careful. It's kind of like the mentality. And I'm a wide-eyed 18-year-old kid, I don't know what's going on, I don't have much guidance, but that was my response. And so the way I dealt with it was over the first three weeks of school, guess what I did? I found three guys that were just like me, and we kind of connected, and that was the pod I lived in literally for the next three or two years while I was at the school. And so never during that time did I interact like meaningfully with anybody not like me. And so while I eked out an education during those two years, I like had very little personal growth in hindsight because I missed out on the opportunity to like immerse myself. Hey man, what are you all about? Where are you from? Oh really, what's life like there? Oh, wow, that's crazy. Here's where I'm from, and now i got a friend that's different than me. Go figure. And ironically, my grandma always told me growing up, I was close to my grandma, she said, Timmy, she'd make this roast, and she'd put it out there, and, she, and then she'd give us a little sermon. She'd say, Timmy, I'll tell you something. Rest in peace, Grandma Grace. Uh, she would have been 100, about 100 years old a couple days ago. Uh, anyway, she would see, was a very wise woman, God fearing lady. And she'd say, You got the most to learn from people least like you. And she would tell me that, and it went, at the time, right in one ear and out the other. But I think I, I, think I understand a little more now. But what's my point here? Church, you have the most to learn from people that are least like you. And so I want to ask you, how are you doing with expanding your connections? in the fellowship. How are you doing with that? It's okay to have your core group of homies. I'm not saying don't do that, but man, if you don't have a couple people that are like dipping your toe in different waters and you're getting to know them, you're having them in your house, you're not taking part of, in what Paul says we must do in order to mature as a group. And I know we all want to do that, right? I won't hijack Ephesians 4, but Ephesians 4 talks a lot about we're all very different. We all have different gifts. And if we want to get to maturity, we've got to do this work together, shoulder to shoulder, and get to know each other and have fun doing it. And it's a step-by-step thing. It's easy, it's, easy, it's natural to avoid it. But with a little bit of effort, we can be experts at it. And I think we're doing pretty good, but this is a good reminder. Let's keep on reading in uh, verse 19. verse 19 says consequently here comes the meat of this this stuff here you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with god's people and also members of god's household i love that scripture and to me it takes a huge jump between your fellow citizens and members of the same household when i when i think about fellow citizens with somebody i'm like okay we're in the same proximity. We share the same zip code, right? Maybe I see him downtown at the market. Maybe I pull up a lawn chair close to you at music in the park, but we're kind of cordial and all that kind of thing. And that's that's like being fellow citizens with somebody, but there's a whole different connotation to me when the Bible starts talking about we're 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 in the same household. We're roommates with each other, if you know what I mean. I get a little nervous as a relative loner. I'm like, whoa, hey, what are we now here? What? Who's, who's living in this place, right? How much square feet are we talking about? Is this on a big parcel of land? Is there a backyard at all? Like, I'm, do I get my own bedroom at least? You know, what am I doing here? But it implies, it implies some intimacy, like we're close. Uh, and Paul is appealing to us to come together in our diversity and be tight-knit, to be together, to be a family, a family that gets to peace through acceptance, understanding, tolerance, and therefore unity, right? This is not always easy, right? Back to my old roommates. I had another roommate named Victor, right? And Victor took care of his business. He was a nice enough guy, lived with him for a couple of years, again, in that household with five guys. Only Victor, like, in his spare time, was like a, he was like a sloth, right? It, it, it could be like, the middle of july victor would roll out of bed saturday morning he'd be like in his underwear he'd have a blanket or something like that and he'd go over and he'd shut all the curtains and he'd lay down on the couch and he'd like movie marathon it all day long like that was his deal whatever he wanted it so after a while we're like dude you're kind of wrecking the whole household vibe here you know maybe after a while we're like how do we get a tv for victor so he can just just stay in his room sort of deal but that's how he was. And, and it, it had effect on the whole household because that's what he would do. Again, nice enough guy. I bring this up because as I survey myself spiritually in 2020, I was a lot like Victor. Like I had a Victor kind of spiritual year last year. We had the COVID set in and all of a sudden, ah, I got a lot more free time. And there's a good part of that as long as you're using that time well, if you know what I'm saying. But, you know, come middle of the summer, all of a sudden, I'm, my habits are changing a little bit. My quiet times aren't as good, even though I'm having, like, extra time. You would think that would equate to more time in the word. And I noticed my diet was, like, tanking. Like, usually my, my annual pattern is I'm pretty, I'm pretty active all summer, staying in pretty good shape. Halloween comes around. There's candy all over the place. I'm eating stuff. But then oh, right back on the wagon, you got to take care of yourself. Thanksgiving, you indulge a little bit. Again, the holidays, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, I think my August through the holidays were one big pastry, like just eating everything. And like I put on like 12, 15 pounds. I mean, I'm just like, and after a while, it's just like, oh, I'm so sluggish, like right? And i'll be honest with you usually my 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 alcohol consumption had like might look like during the course of a given month a couple times i'll have a beer or two right that was kind of my that's just kind of my pattern now with all this extra time i got no plans on the schedule now within a week there's a couple days where i'm having a beer or two a couple times a week right not to get plowed or anything like that but Again, the way I'm treating my temple is changing, and it's not very God-honoring, and I'm just this sloth. I don't have any energy. I'm less excited about returning phone calls or figuring out who I, who I can encourage in the fellowship, right? And so this new year came along, and I've told the guys, my theme this year is consecration. I've got to cut some of this junk out. No more sweets. David just had his birthday. My oldest son, big old cake, and I'm like, I can't do it. And so it's been like a month, but after a couple weeks of that, I feel great, like my energy is back, I'm focused more, my brain fog dissipates, right? No more alcohol, that's just, that's it, that's it. It's just like, you gotta stop. And so that's just a helpful thing, it's taking care of my temple, so I can be better for God, but so I can be a good spiritual roommate, if you know what I mean. Can I get an amen on that one? 2020, I also had this other roommate, his name was Mattson. I know, this is the last roommate I'm gonna tell you about. But Madsen, we, we had a nickname for him and we called him Mickey. And the reason we called him Mickey was because he reminded us of a mouse. You guys know what mice do? Mice come in at night and steal your food. That's what mice do. And so Madsen, I thought he had some money, but I don't know if he was broke or just got a kick out of it, but he would like sneak and take a little bit of all of our food. He was crafty about it. He wouldn't just like eat half of my bowl of cereal. He would like take a little bit of this and a little bit from another roommate a little bit and make like cereal casseroles and then take a little splash of milk all the way around. But we caught on to him. Eventually, my other roommate, Chuck, walked in on him, and he's got this lab thing going with everybody's stuff. He's like, what are you doing? You can't do that, right? And so we had this come-to-Jesus talk with Madsen. We weren't even Christians at the time, but uh, we had to fix that. What's my point? Don't be a Madsen. Spiritually speaking, right? A lot of times we can do that. We come into the fellowship, I think I'll take some of this, and I'll take some of this. Oh, there's some more over here. It's not like we're stealing it, but we're taking it. We're not giving anything, because we're taking. And then we saunter on out, and that's it. And the flavor the rest of the fellowship is left with is, what's up with this cat? We gotta have a come to Jesus talk with it. So if you've been a Madsen lately, don't be a Madsen that's no good. Amen? Amen. All right. Now let's get to the good part of this scripture, because I'll tell you what, these first 19 verses are impossible without the, the next two verses. So let's finish up here. We'll read 19 again. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household I know the value of a good foundation. If you build on a foundation that's a little out of whack, that, don't, that doesn't have its axis system correct, you're going to have trouble. And I find great comfort in knowing we are built spiritually on like a geometrically perfect and strong foundation, right? With Jesus Christ, it says is the chief cornerstone. A cornerstone is what sort of establishes the XY axis and then the foundation, which is the apostles, are set off of that, right? I built a little little hut in my backyard or side yard this past year over COVID. Corey, you got a picture of that guy or, or Tyler? There it is. I'm going to show you what it is. See the, little little screen porch area. And so this was an exercise for me and the boys. And the first thing we did before we got to any of this, you can see there's some posts underneath on the ground here, all the way around the perimeter. In fact, ironically, there was 12 posts. And so, before we started the excavating, I put out some string lines and some stakes, dink, 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 measured it out, put, you know, like, did my little four, five, or three, four, five triangle, got at, marked where all the posts were, and then dug the, the holes. I didn't dig the holes, that's when I handed the posthole digger to my children. And they spent some time, a couple of days, like digging. You know what the post hole digger is, like that? Fortunately, we're in sand, so it's really not that big of a deal. But so they dug the 12 holes 48 inches deep, because we got to have a good, strong foundation, right? And so I'm ready to put these posts in, like, the following week, and I get all those 6 by 6s pressure treated, sunk them in there, and did a little last-minute calculating. And I realized I screwed up the first time. Like, literally, my math was wrong. Instead of a three, four, five triangle, I used a four, five, six, and that ain't gonna work. And so, what it resulted in is, like, I thought, well, I could just go with this and just wing it. In which case, like, the the floor would end up like a trapezoid versus, like, a true rectangle, which might not be the end of the world, but then you get up to the roof, and now all these, these big rafters have to be cut differently in order to accommodate such things, and then you're gonna try to put this nice, rectangular roof on it and that's not going to look right. So the right thing to do was time out, back up, relocate the holes, rehand that post hole digger to my elated children uh, who re-dug the thing. And so the point is now we have a building that's sturdy and square and true just like we have in the body of Christ today. And so guys, if our foundation is messed up, it's challenging to build on. And so but it's up to us as brothers and sisters in Christ to build from there. And, and we're supposed to be building a holy temple in the Lord. How nasty is it if we have this perfect foundation but the elements that we put on top of it are less than awesome, right? And so what does that equate to? What that comes down to is, is my da- in my day-to-day conduct, am I building a holy temple in the Lord? Am I applying the siding of my thought game in a righteous way? Is it pleasing to the eye when you drive by that thing? Uh, What about my conduct at work? Is, Is my conduct at work something that beautifies this spiritual temple that we're building together? Or how about my social media conduct? Is it something that embellishes this home in a beautiful way, or is it something that tears it down and divides it? So, that is our job as Christians, as brothers and sisters. So, I urge you take stock in how you are building, because not only does it affect your own well being, but that of the whole household in the Lord. Amen? Amen? With that, we are going to pray for communion. So, let's bow. God, it's good to know that we are um, set up for success in you. Uh, through your blood, God, we come together—different people of all shapes and sizes and backgrounds—and we're 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 one in Christ. We're roommates. We're we're in the same household. I pray, God, that we would glorify you with the way we build. That uh, we would consider our ways and honor the fact that our foundation is firm and true, and build in a in a in a great way above. I thank you for. Uh, the cross, God. I thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice on it. Uh, I pray that our hearts could live a life of sacrifice as well today. In Jesus' name, amen.